Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is Louise Gaffney from Dirty Dreamer. And she has one of my dream topics, I think, to talk to us about. Louise, welcome to the show. What are you going to talk to us about? Hi, uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, I have I spent a good time thinking about what I would choose. And it's Kid A by Radiohead, the album. Yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess we should give people. Do you want to give people a little history of the album, like when it came out and stuff, or when you came across it first? Maybe more importantly, I think I like I can tell you more in more detail about when I came across it. I suppose because mm-hmm. it was like I would have been pretty young. This kind of would have gone over my head only that my older brother was very into music and at the same was kind of collecting CDs and things before I'd even dipped a toe into owning music, you know, so Mm -hmm. I would just inherit bits and pieces and a lot of it sort of went over my head. But I remember this, this one just really striking me when I heard it. Um, And I don't know that I understood completely what it was attempting to do at the time, but it's been one of those ones that's stayed in my library of music and just come back to me year after year after year in different ways and I think through different even ages I've understood it maybe differently um over time so that's why I chose this one because it just was a slow burn for me and I'm still learning like I'm still even like learning more about it all the time and uh it's resonating differently was it the first Radiohead album you got into or had you were you familiar with them already? Yeah, no, it would have been. It was just what was in, you know, back then you just didn't have access. We didn't even have, I think Napster had just kicked off and I like maybe downloaded like Beyonce's first ever single there. But, you know, music ownership was very much a passed down thing. You either were given a mix CD or borrowed a tape or somebody gave you a CD or just had one and they circulated. That so, is such that is such an interesting way of put of putting it because yeah. we live in such a different time in terms of musical currency now. But back then it really was who your older siblings were or who your friends were and who put it into your hands. Yeah, absolutely. Cuz even even thinking about this like with the first thing I was like I was trying to remember to choose something I was trying to remember the screen on my first iPod like what was what was yeah. on there yeah. and it actually was kind of like it wasn't always things I'd chosen it was thing a CD I'd gotten and just burnt because I had this device now so a lot of the ones that came up I was like but did I really enjoy that or was it just that it was all that was on there and I listened to it intently like album in album style you know track one the whole way to the end um, and so I think you maybe had more of a tolerance for learning to like music that might not have been directly on your interests. Like y- yeah. you repeat listened in a way that's great. Like you studied yeah, it more I mean, closely. Yeah, because if you spend fifteen pounds from your part-time job on an album, you want you're going to find a way to like it. Exactly. I used to um, absolutely hammer the two for fifteen pounds section in BPM Records in Waterford mm. every week when I got paid it by like two albums and. Like that's why I own most REM albums, even though I consider myself a big REM fan. Yeah. Like all these, like Bob Dylan and stuff. So I got into all of those. Yeah. But um, with Kid A, like I was, me and all my friends were huge Okay Computer and the Benz fans, and we, we were so excited for Kid A. Mm. Like I think everybody was like that. That was like a mid teenager. Then was like it was like our lives were building towards the next Radiohead album after Okay Computer. And I remember, um. The day before it came out, my friend's older sister was going out with a, a guy who worked in a record shop, so she had it. 
and he was like she's just listening to it on repeat and he was like the next time she does it can you just like get it press record on a tape and bring it over to me I'm gonna buy it tomorrow but I need to hear it tonight I can't wait another day so I remember like sitting on the floor of my bedroom listening to the tape going and it was so different to a computer yeah the, even the very first chords and everything in its right place just the yeah. it the warmth it, it's like that piano in, in everything in its right place it's like um like an ice cream like like it's like ice cream on a hot tart it's kind of it's warm and chilly at the same time yeah it's like it's kind of pulling you and pulling you in and pushing you away at the same time yeah and there's no guitar at all like it's yeah like we were like guitar obsessives all of us and like obsessed with johnny greenwood and all the magical things that he could do with guitars and then you don't hear a guitar until you don't hear an electric guitar until like the sixth song on the album yeah yeah you don't hear an acoustic till song four yeah it's so different and so took so much getting used to but i knew the first time i listened to it that i was there was something there yeah you know there was something to dig into yeah i think and it's interesting for me it's so di- my experience of finding it is so different because it just mm. happened upon me like I didn't have that uh lore of Radiohead pre kid mm-hmm. and so even now in later years or maybe you know a good couple of years ago I would have rediscovered even the bends like going like lately I've just gone mental listening to the bends because it's just mm. so it's great but it's not Radiohead as I as I mm-hmm. know it maybe but this one just I don't know what it is about it, but I feel like it nearly should. It nearly did go over my head. Like it was nearly too much. I think I might have been, what is it, year 2000. I was probably like, was I? And I maybe didn't hear it till I was 14. Like it might have been kicking around the house for a year or two Mm. before I actually heard it. So it could easily have just been above my head like so much other stuff then was. Mm. But I think it was that. It was that approach to sound and approach to songwriting that just was just so outside of what I thought a song had to be at the time mm. um and all the processing like even sampling became a big thing like we didn't know anything about that until this and like my, my brother was kind of exploring music production and had gotten himself Cubase and was figuring all that out and all of that just seemed so magical like it was just like god like this is just such a different way to make something and these guys are doing it so well all over this album so mm as like a thing to point at and be like yeah I'm into music and I want to make music but I want to do it differently or try it from a different angle this was always a really good one um to kind of keep going back to I think when you're that age as well it's very important to the things that end up impacting you in the long run as a person who makes things I think are things that you don't necessarily completely understand when you first Mm -hmm. meet them do you know like when you're 14 I don't know if you like you're really all you're really still just kind of germinating in there do you know mm-hmm. so it can influence you and it can shake you up but you kind of you can't understand it not really and yeah. uh I think there's something really incredible about the idea that that album was just kind of hanging out in your house waiting for you and yeah. the first times that you hear it you're like oh this is incredible and I don't understand why and that question is one that follows you throughout your artistic yeah. pursuit as you get older did you play music as a child yourself or like how did yeah. your own musical journey like arrive I played like I learned piano like so many others I, I did that for a long time and then really it was those kind of teenage years like 14 15 16 
when my older brother was starting to figure out that home recording like all of this stuff and would like nab me to play something and and then send me away again very quickly you know he needed four chords and I was gone then after that little but, sister um, sample in you go yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and and so we kind of started learning a little bit like that together and like I never I didn't actually study it at third level I didn't continue with it from there but I never stopped messing with it and mm-hmm. I was in bands as soon as I left home basically and it kind of took over um but yeah, I suppose I think I even back coming back to this album, I suppose initially it was just the sound that would kind of influence me. Do you know, like it was just so different to what you expected. And there was just such a such a palette of sounds going on. Everything was super cinematic and lush and just weird in places and that was all I could really latch on to because I was too young to understand, you know, a lot of what it's trying to achieve you don't experience those things until you're older and so you know Mm. even the heartbreak like motion picture soundtrack it's devastating now but at the time you know you'd never been in love you'd never you know none of this stuff Mm. you know you don't actually get to appreciate that stuff until you experience something in the world and so even as that like you'd revisit it um at 25 or 28 or 30 whatever it is Mm. and it just always gave more but then it was the songwriting you know it was what's it about that I had overlooked completely because I was just fascinated by the sound like the motion picture soundtrack in particular like when you listen to it as a teenager which I was I was 16 when it came out um, and it is this I think they said specifically they were going for like 50s Disney yeah. is the vibe they were going for with it and that is that it's this big overwhelming emotional song but it's not till I actually went and learned the chords for it tried to play it for myself I was like oh this is devastating yeah this is the saddest song in the world yeah. this is like but it it's so even though they were deliberately trying to move away from like like um first chorus first song mm. structure and like melody and stuff they can't help themselves Tom York he just mm. he's too good yeah at writing songs for it to fully go away like Optimistic is like one of the best guitar songs that, in the whole Radiohead yeah. canon um but it's this weird, scratchy, crackly. It, it always imagine. I don't know if it's like a synesthesia thing or something, but like I always imagine the landscapes the songs are in. Mm. Whereas, like, say everything is right place and Kid A, they all take place essentially in the album cover for me. Yeah, yeah. But optimistic is like in like a winter kind of. It's all branches and yeah. twigs. That yeah. song and like like electric twigs kind of. Um, but it's in there. It's like that's a tree guitar assault, yeah. classic Radiohead, and it is in there. They never fully moved away from it. I no, think, no matter how much they claimed it is but at it, the time. But even like you say, even learning motion picture soundtrack, um, it would be. It's the palette that makes it not devastating. Mm. Like it, it's it would be such a maudlin like down track if it was mm. just played on a guitar or just on a piano or whatever it is. Because I've tried it myself, and it's like God, I sound miserable. Like this is yeah. just horrible. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anyone's going to want to hear this, but it's so beautifully kind of wrought with the right timbre of, mm. of sound, and and even like the, I think it's like sampled harps and orchestration that kind of is blurring around the end section. Like it's just so lush and beautiful that you're not really. Mm. It's not. It's just pulling it out of that super super sad space. Um. Mm. But yeah, that even yeah, it's funny even mentioning like the landscapes or the spaces because later on, so then a moon shaped pool came along. So I kind of skipped mm. like in rainbows. Obviously, was unbelievable. But a moon shaped pool came to me as this like 
this was made for me type of album mm. and I did an awful lot of research around it and I dug out every interview I could find and Johnny Greenwood actually says something very interesting I think it was an NPR interview uh, about how music production if you can make it sound like it's coming from a specific place and time like mm. and for them with for this it might be this expansive weird landscape and then for a moon-shaped pool they, his goal that was kind of that it sounded like a room that you could nearly picture the room the song was recorded mm -hmm. in so it has this sonic space and i always thought that was really interesting because it can be such like you can produce music and it can be soulless depending on how you actually record it or how you mm. construct or or leave out that space and i think a lot of people with like this glossy production that everyone can achieve now with with a computer you you do lose that sometimes because the gloss just yeah. takes that that away um because everybody's using the same plugins with the same yeah. production software yeah, yeah it's the same yeah. room it's it's always been the same <laughs> room so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I found that pretty inspiring as well and um mm. i think you hear that across all of their albums that the, the spaces sound they're different mm. that is so interesting i don't think i've ever heard anybody just that that is so specific and interesting like that idea of a like a literal a literal space like a, a mm. like a literal studio but also sort of a fictional space as well where yeah. the mm. sound and imagery sort of evokes these land like that synesthetic thing is really interesting the idea that you're it, it conjures a realm entirely in what mm. it's doing but there's also a sort of a a set of parameters that it's built into as well that's really interesting mm. Like, I don't think I've ever heard yeah. anyone describe an album like that before. That's fascinating. And, and it's a really helpful way to actually write. Like, that's one of the things yeah. I kind of took took on board. I was, or produce, maybe not so much write, but definitely the recording, uh, the technical side. I'd always be striving for that, like, for that the structure. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, or a sense of a space, you know, that you're not, not mm. everything has to be perfect or, or yeah. recorded perfectly, even if it if it's, if it's got that sense of space or the room I'm trying to create for someone to sit in when they're listening, then then it's in, you know, and it serves mm. a function in a different way that that a perfect recording maybe couldn't. I think you're out. You're actually your album, The Everyday in Bloom, does that really well. I've, I've listened Good. to it a lot the last couple of weeks. The, <laughs> that last song, it does feel like you've like stepped outdoors and suddenly you're confronted by all of you just like playing like a trad song yeah after all the <laughs> yeah beautiful, it's like you've literally just stepped out into a field which it's really cool yeah 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 thank god actually that's great to hear that it does have that feel um because i think yeah we have tried and, and we're kind of lucky in that all of it really does happen in one room as well so our space mm -hmm. is quite easy to create it it's here this room <laughs> um and yeah we didn't record anything really outside of here so that space was quite easy for us to create but yeah I suppose even with that last track it is very different and even knowing where to put that in the album so I love I like that it it you said it sounds like you exit and go somewhere else just for one just for one more yeah. that's cool um Sarah I want to know what you like what's your experience with, with this album I am it's very interesting to me listening to other people talk about Radiohead, Radiohead because I am a Radiohead alien I never mm. listened to them except by accident so I think, like, I don't think that I can understand it in the same. I listened to it and I was like, that that's a Radiohead album. Yeah. So I don't yeah. have the nuances to 
like unpack the journey that they go on or Tom York goes on, mm. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that I don't like Radiohead. I w- but I long running thing on Juvenile is that I don't have a sort of a musical literacy. Um so I don't like I don't uh it's Radiohead. Do you know? Yeah. Like I didn't what's, what's interesting about that though is that like when it came out the main criticism of, of it was that it wasn't, wasn't radio. Th- but, but here's that the thing, gone right? So far, but it now it's become, yeah. Uh, but that's what that is because I'm coming at it mm. from this completely neutral, neutral angle. Mm. So I mm. feel like I'm inspecting an art gallery as somebody who is just, com- I've just got com- a complete illiteracy in them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so coming and listening to people who do have that language talk about it is really compelling because I I won't go so far as to say that I like I don't I don't I, like I don't know <laughs> you know <laughs> like it just um Radiohead are a planet that I visited seldom growing up you know mm-hmm. so it's a um it's beautiful to hear about it through the lens of people who have a full fluency mm. yeah I think maybe there's like there's some gateway drug albums you could start with that might not be kid A. Like you could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think you could like, and a lot of people I find like for for a lot of people it's in rainbows because it mm. that one just really, it's just such a good listen. It doesn't challenge you maybe as much as something like kid A would because it's kind of a like it is quite a dark. I don't know if I go as far as say dark, but it can be a dark album and it's it's challenging in it's unwillingness to be a song most of the time you know it yeah. yeah like I had it on the kitchen earlier and I was kind of just like oh this is this is a tricky one for me you know yeah, yeah. um mm. because even growing up my impression of Radiohead from the outside was that it was sort of smart people music do you yeah. know yeah. like there was a sophistication to it that I I, I just yeah. didn't feel like I ever understood and you know? totally I get that because I was totally even hesitant to pick it because I'm like oh god it's such like a it's such a if you wanted to sound interesting, you would pick mm. Kid A. Like, do you know? And I was like, God, pick anything. But that's just more don't the reason. To, but that's more of a reason to talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's personal then. Do you know? It's not like, it's not a technical conversation. It's a personal conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, but I think it has, it does have that like, uh, oh, maybe I'm wrong, but it maybe sometimes people use it as like a, flag to fly when it's like i'm into complex music you know i'm into i'm into yeah. you know that's, that's definitely my what thing it was I'm for a long time. i think by like maybe the end of that decade it had kind of been accepted as like maybe their best album well yeah. i think in rainbows kind of yeah. flipped and flipped all that on its head again but to me like if you're talking about like an art gallery and stuff i feel like kid a is like stepping into a room of rothko's where yeah. you can feel there's it's Big moods, but big simple moods. Mm. I had that. Ex- we There's talked not about a lot of detail today. Like, oh my god, really? that is a very specific yeah. parallel. Like, it is. Mm-hmm. It's just big, light. Set. Like, it's it's um, like I'm textures. Not go- textures. I'm not yeah. going to get. I had a very long conversation with my husband in Paris a couple <laughs> of weeks ago about Rothko specifically. But I mm-hmm. think it's there's a vocabulary, if that makes sense, that you can mm-hmm. kind of tune into with it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it's a real the girls that get it, get it. Yeah. Thing, you know. Yeah, but it even like it even kind of messes with you a little bit because you have things like like how to disappear completely, which is probably mm. one of my favorite tracks ever. And 
that's sitting not too far away from something like Idiotech, which is mm-hmm. just so, so different. And uh, yeah, that always really struck me because even Idi- Idiotech, if you listen to it, just the... Because again, a really interesting thing to like unpack it is often learning it, like you say, like trying to play it or trying to replicate mm-hmm. it. Hard to know where to start with Idiotech, but if you take away the kind of the almost like bunker style beats and mm-hmm. as a song it's actually it's it does function and it's kind of you could make it very different so it's an interesting mm-hmm. one I don't I'd wonder how they how they began that piece like where did what did they start with what was the first block because it's but there is the actual synthy bit in that is is based on a sample, sample. Like some, yeah, yeah. Which I, I've, I've, it's like the only sample I know of in yeah all of radiohead which i find really interesting but that's it. they had an interesting story about that like someone had i don't know if it was johnny or colin or someone had it on a vinyl while they were mm. doing the recording sessions for this and they were just playing it because it's one of it's one of the earliest recorded pieces of synth i think i could be wrong about that but it, it i think it might be and they kind of heard it from a distance like what's that grabbed the sample mm. there and then off a of vinyl and maybe maybe that is then the first chunk and it just that turns into a beat pretty easily once you're at mm. sample territory but yeah like that one is is super interesting as well it's one of the all-time great beats as well like whenever yeah. i like i'm near like a drum machine or like i'm trying to like get to grips with like a bit of recording software i'll always just try try do idiotech on it first yeah. or if i'm just like tapping i'll often find myself just tapping yeah idiotech is like my my like mental screensaver tapping noise it's just oh, it's the idiot so instantly recognizable and it's mm. like that mo like every time i hear it i'm just like can you imagine being at a radiohead gig right now and hearing those first bars of that piece just oh. like you just know you're gonna yeah. have a good eight minutes have you ever um, seen them have you yeah. ever seen them live yeah just the once um and i uh that was the point or the three arena i guess it's, it it's always been, the point it's always it the was point. the point but it wasn't that many years ago i feel like it might have been four years ago that gig for moonshade pool yeah or moonshade pool yeah, i missed that one yeah um and there, yeah it was spectacular it was everything i expected it to be but um mm. i hadn't seen them before then i just always missed them um but yeah i, I actually think they did play Radio tech i'm fairly sure like i don't know where i have this mental image of um being in a crowd with the beat coming on unless I did see that so I think they always play Idiotech yeah I think much. you kind of have yeah. to <laughs> you yeah, kind of yeah. have to um I saw him on the Kid A tour in uh, wow. Punchtown on, in the tent so it was like Punchtown. a week or so a week or two after the album came out wow um and it was unbelievable because so we'd had like a week to get used to get used to essentially learn all the words and stuff and but still really really wanted to play just in Paranoid Android because it was our first time seeing oh him yeah in of 16. course yeah um but Idiotech, it started and was like, this is pretty cool. It's, he's like singing the hell out of this. And then when when the second verse dropped and then Phil Selby dropped him with live drums on top of it. Yeah. And we were just like, this is the heaviest thing I've ever heard in my life. We were like looking at, staring at each other wide eye, like what the yeah. fuck? This is For incredible. new listeners, Alan was a meddler. Yeah. So this is like metal. <laughs> I was not a meddler. We got not it. not no. by that point. So I came down Never ever a meddler. Uh, yeah. Always radio. Oh, yeah. always radio That's what they always say. <laughs> uh, and then like they finished with like a nine, 10 minute version of everything in its right place. Yeah. Where yeah. they're all just sampling each other and mixing it up on each other. Yeah. And then it's just... And they opened with a um, national anthem as well. Yeah, amazing. Which is again just an incredible song to start with. That yeah. gig actually, they did three nights, and the third night of it is up on the Radiohead YouTube channel. 
Mm. If anybody wants to watch it and experience it, what them because oh, they were quite nervous about playing the new songs as well. I think by that point because it was still all quite new to them. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, national anthem and we're obviously national anthem has this like big free jazz brass yes, freak out yeah. at the end. And instead, it was just Tom York just hitting a clean guitar over and over again, Amazing. and op- open strings, and just doing the vocals of it instead. And it was just because essentially we were like three years into wanting to see Radiohead more than mm. anything in our lives by that point. It was like we like all like got a minibus, went up together, ran to get up into the pit and stuff, and the songs did they didn't disappoint live at all. Mm. They Kid A on record is this beautiful perfect thing and then live it was they were rock songs again yeah it was really cool yeah yeah, yeah. that's really and I, I never got a chance to see to see them in that kind of time period so it's 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 a funny one um mm. i feel like radiohead has been something that's been like on you know internally in my mm. headphones for a really long time and so even yeah. that external experience of it was strange it was like oh it's there now in front of me. That's that's it's so usually so solitary as well. It's not something like they're not albums I'll put on when other people are around. Like I don't expect, mm-hmm. and that's actually pretty. I don't think I've ever have I probably maybe Moonshape Pool, but it they do feel like kind of solitary journeys. Like Kid A for me is like a walking album, nearly like you know, mm-hmm. it's it's for me one person to enjoy at a time. I don't know if it feels right to have it on in a room full of people necessarily. Mm. Um, so that was kind of mind blowing to be in a massive crowd then and sharing it with other people in a way that was kind of strange because you're looking around mm. and it's like oh they all love the same bits that's that's yeah. wild <laughs> but of course they do but um, yeah no I had a funny story then like everything in its right place because you mentioned that I mm. so this album kind of came to me through my brother as I said and I have a younger brother who's maybe 10 years younger than me so I kind of he was just a kid when I was in college and we probably didn't, I kind of missed his teen years and then I was home because he had his music practical. He's a drummer and he was like, oh, you know, will you play some keys with me? Get me through this music practical and you to learn four pieces or whatever it is. Mm. And so I put on everything. I was like, have you ever heard this? And of course he'd know like, because it just missed him because it was no, we weren't there mm-hmm. and uh, he'd never heard it. I said, what? What is, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> And I was like, we'll play this. We'll play this for your music practical. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we absolutely nailed it. It was brilliant. Um, yeah. But just such a nice thing to kind of, you know, to hand it, hand it down again. It was just like, mm. oh, this is going to change how you think about music, actually, and listen to the whole album because it, it'll it change things. So that was really lovely. My My two brothers are two and six years younger than me and they have no interest in radio whatsoever or any music that i'm inter- interested in um the torch went, pass they, is so powerful man they're the very interested pass. in cigar brooks that's kind of yeah my sister is yeah. a musician in our house like she is the one mm-hmm. who is like really really fluent in music and way better with it than i am she's a pitch perfect and um every so often like in conversation she'll like she'll mention a musician that I led her to and I'm like yes yeah 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 it's a slap <laughs> on the back big time yeah still out here listening to Rufus Wainwright yes you were you know like the little <laughs> yeah. the little dots that I would have kind of dropped in there me and my like 
I'm so we're so different and my taste is so different to hers but it does feel so special when you can pass that down and along and the same with your older brother advertently or inadvertently led you to Radiohead you Mm. then could go oh hold on that mattered to me so here you go like that that's special you know it doesn't always work it doesn't always work either you know um every so often I try to get my sister to listen to something down she's like no 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 taste and I'm like fair so (laughs) so the things that hold uh yeah really really special but it is harder now to pass music along. It's like, you know, people send, my WhatsApp is hopping half the time with someone sending me a new album. So it's just so much, you know, and I feel like I don't, like it's rare that an album will hit me straight away and I'll start repeat listening pretty quickly like that. It it mm-hmm. they're, they're rare. I'd be pretty selective about how that happens. And I just feel sometimes it's, it's, I wish we could go back to that when someone you trust gives you a CD and you're like, this is worth my time. Even if I don't get it the first time or second time, I'll mm-hmm. get it the third time. Like someone gave me the Deftones, I remember on like a, a mix CD <laughs> yeah. growing up and I was just like, mm-hmm. no, I'm never going to get this. And then lo- like ended up absolutely treasuring it. And it was just like a dodgy CD, like a burnt, didn't have all the tracks from the album, was missing one or two. Um but uh, yeah. that type of thing, because you, you really tried, if it was someone you respected, you really tried to to get it. Yeah. I remember a friend of mine, she knew that I liked, I'd read, like, I'd read about Elliot Smith in the magazine and just mentioned that I was interested in hearing him. She was like, oh, I have his album. So she taped mm. it for me and then put Har- Neil Young Harvest Moon on the other side. She was like, you'll like this as well if you like oh, it. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'm definitely going to yeah. try this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it did. Like, it, it stuck. Both it's of them really stuck. Special. Yeah. You do, you go a long way when you're younger to try and understand other people through the music that they listen to. I mm. have attended, I've said this probably before in the podcast, I've seen Ingve Malmsteen, I've seen Steve Vai, I've seen Dream Theater. I've attended all of this extremely high level, capital G guitar music, do you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Throughout my time, just in an att- attempt to understand the people around me. Um, and it is an act, it's an act of love. You know, it's yeah, it's a way to yeah. communicate with people like here. You're trying to when you share music with somebody else, you're trying to tell them something, some truth or other about them. So when you don't understand, it's even harder when you're like, I don't, you know, yeah. or it's, yeah, yeah, if you don't or get when the you, message or when you give somebody <laughs> some music and they're like, this is bad, Sarah, you know, yeah. that is. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Like, That's happened to me. You know, you might have one track oh. you're absolutely in besotted by and you send it to someone and they're just like meh it's did you listen did you listen (laughs) devastating um i used to have a group chat with like four other people specifically for like american emo indie rock and i remember saying lads soccer mommy you're gonna love soccer mommy and they were all like no i was like no yeah i pretty much left the group after i was like i know yeah it's harsh so i feel like i lie all the time as well for other people if they send me Mm -hmm. so i'm just like oh my god i love it because yeah (laughs) all the banger yeah 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 i absolutely adore it um but i find radiohead are like my kind of baseline that i judge it's not like i like disparage or like I'm judging <laughs> people who don't like Radiohead, <laughs> but like if uh, say like, if a if a, cri- if a critic doesn't like Radiohead and like they're uh. vocal that they're just like Radiohead, I'm like, I'm their opinions aren't going to really inform Align. me very well. Yeah, yeah. If they like it, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to like something. Their four stars is, is not my four stars. Yeah, you know? and that's yeah. fine. I think it's good to mm. even have that awareness of it because yeah, only one person reviews an album at the end of the day, so I'm always pretty mm-hmm. skeptical of of them in any case. 
Um, and also people aggressively performatively hating Radiohead is the thing. Like I'm totally Radiohead neutral. Do you know? Yeah. Whereas there are people who sort of are like their distaste for Radiohead is a mark of their general taste. And that's yeah. like that's worse to me in terms mm. of snobbery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Nearly. Like it's a, yeah. it's a, it's it's, a they're trying to signal that they're not a nerd. Yeah. That's or, what they're doing. Or like, that they're but, yeah. getting as far away from like signaling that they're cool. You know, like I think sometimes mm-hmm. It's a there is that. Yeah, yeah, it leads you to the same place, you know. Does, and yeah. I think the extreme on that side, I think, is is um, further alienating. Nearly, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's As a as a person who's on the kind of neutral side, I'm just like the divisiveness of it is mad to me. Yeah. Really divisive stuff. Yeah. Like, I think I've just been lucky. Like every everyone. And and the, again, I suppose another reason I picked this was because I knew this album was very important to the other two members of the band, Dahi and Ken. And it was one of the ones I think you can still, like, we won't argue about Kid A. It's a, it's a fantastic album. Mm. Like, there's no, there's there's definitely no divide in the camp here. So, but I, I also think like even like Ken, especially like Ken would have, Ken is just a Radiohead nut. Like he has torn asunder every single micro detail of every single Radiohead track since they began making music and mm-hmm. ha- always has something interesting to say about it and always find something new in it um, but it definitely feeds I hear it in his palette a lot um, Ken would be kind of for the Dirty Dreamer album um, all of those beats those kind of heavy uh, crushed beats that's all Ken um, a lot of some synth work as well and and would be kind of big into experimenting around sampling and things like that too. Mm-hmm. Or or even finding a, a vocal processing to use for my voice that was it would be unusual, you know. Mm-hmm. So he he would embody kind of a lot of what comes up in this album as well. Uh, I became obsessed with a website over the last year or so called the kingofgear.com. Oh yeah. Which obsessively details all of Radiohead's gear and how they achieve all their sounds. Yeah. And like gig by gig, it's like this was Johnny Greenwood's pedal board like in early t- 2006. Here it is in late 2006. And like here, he, we, think he, we think he used a coin to play yeah. guitar on this song yeah. and stuff. And it's like, it's just like, whoomp. Yeah. It's so, it can, it's a world to dive into. It really is insane. The level yeah. of detail you can, Radiohead reward that kind of detail though. They do. A lot of bands yeah. don't. Radiohead do. So they do, yeah. yeah. You're not gonna get bored looking for new things to find in it or new ways. Mm-hmm. And even like so even even with a moon shaped pool, even like the change of approach, it seems like from what they spoke about with that album that when they needed to create a new work, it's often like changed the parameters. So with, with that one, they'd come off the back of In Rainbows, which is like huge sounding and, and really intricate and loads of layers. Um and then they were like, Okay, we need to do something different. So Let's limit the number of tracks. We, so we use tape because inherently we can only have X many tracks and it's going to change how we record and it's going to change how we songwrite. And we'll have to be really selective about the take that we want even because if we go again, you're losing it. You're going to record over it. So you mm-hmm. had to have this like instant, instant reaction to something you've just done enough to keep it, which is mm-hmm. an amazing process when you think about it. It's like minimal, but also quality over quantity and... And then tone-wise, that album has an intimate feel that I think Radiohead kind of maybe only got to with a couple of tracks here or there over the years. Mm-hmm. But altogether, that one sits in a kind of a quiet space nearly and 
And I think everything locks together. Yeah. You know, in one shape pool the way it doesn't necessarily where everything can can feel more separate and flowy other places. Everything yeah. is this little it's a little clockwork machine of an album, yeah. I find. Yeah. Uh also Johnny Greenwood, who is like the most exciting guitar player of all time, has decided in the last like maybe ten years to only play clean guitar as much as possible. Wow, okay. And explore like clean guitar as a, a playing style, Amazing. which is I I wish I was like good enough to go and um, to be able to like reach that peak and start heading back in another direction. You yeah. know, it's a really interesting way to do it, and it does make a lot of sense. Then when you hear all the Radiohead's like last ten years yeah. of work, it's like that's a deliberate decision to not be the guitar hero. Yeah, but you just get it's a craft thing too. I think you get mm. so good at your craft and that you explore it in all ways that you can go, and you go as far out as you can, mm-hmm. and then you do. There is a slow realization that actually it does come back to pretty simple craft. And mm. if you're excellent at what you do, you you don't need as much and you don't need the toys and you don't need, mm-hmm. now I love the toy, like I'm all about toys <laughs> and I yeah. love, I love how much they push it, but it's also amazing that they can do the simple thing and do it so well. Um, the introduction of those limitations is really interesting. Like bringing mm. in the idea of just having this like dice roll of just the tape or yeah. removing mm-hmm. all um like pedal work and all um distortion work like yeah. that is you find new things when you take away the better tools you know yeah. like there's some something magic happens when you don't have yeah. access like in all art forms i think yeah, yeah. Like, limitations are super creative like they and actually yeah. it's sort of um it's something i feel like a lot of, bands miss the opportunity because you sort and especially just you kind of find your way into writing an album without deciding it's going to be an album first especially when you're kind of coming from we know we're not full-time professional musicians so if we were at it all the time it might be different but you're halfway through by the time you realize oh you know we're nearly finished an album here mm. so that conversation doesn't happen at the start and i wonder yeah like you miss a trick if you don't have as you know a sit down maybe where everyone discusses a set of rules or a set of limitations and and mm. something to kind of root the album in. Um, not that it's not possible to kind of craft that further on and decide, you know, well, what have we got? How do we how do we pull all this stuff back in? But I just think it's it's a super interesting way to start. Um, mm. Like even even some people said to me recently, like other songwriters, you know, they would pin three words to a board, you know, or three moods or three, like a mantra nearly of of ideas that they're, they're going to try to reach everything in and mm-hmm. um, that's a super interesting way to go about things that kind of adds think, to the yeah, thing that you were yeah. talking about with the idea of uh, i know you were talking more sonically speaking okay but like the idea that there's a room that it happens in mm. and like the f- putting something only on a tape is the room that it happens in yeah do you yeah, know mm. yeah like these are this is like a there's an architecture to it yeah. and uh deliberately approaching a project with an architecture in mind is yeah it's it's very different from being like oh god we have an album do you know like it's just two amazingly different roads to the same piece of art yeah yeah but even in the limit like oh sorry go ahead you've been cut off twice go (laughs) so i was was gonna say there was um, a producer called i think liam watson in the early mid 2000s he had a a studio called torag studios which was an eight track tape studio Mm. Um, but like White Stripes recorded Elephant there, mm. like Libertines recorded in there, Baby Shambles, loads of people 
went in because it was limited because you and the killing the kills as well like it was this is the most restricted studio you will find in like 2005 yeah like because everything is digital now so if you want authenticity you need to go to Torag Studios yeah. in, in London and record on these eight yeah. tracks yeah but it's a magic thing say. like it is because it's you're you're trying mm. to capture like one performance not several comped together you know mm-hmm. like not bits of the bet and there's so much cheating going on too you know you sing it's standard practice to sing you know your vocal take three times and you comp the best bits together mm-hmm. i do it everyone does it <laughs> uh, i don't always do it but i find when i don't and there's imperfections there like for example caddy off our album that was recorded live full live pass with everyone here playing live nothing was comped there's just something to it and i don't know if it's because i know you know but there's a performance i like was able to get into it it builds over time and it's not perfect not every note is perfect but it's so Mm. much better for having that like bit more soul there um so i think it's always a nice thing to attempt that i really think that's where music as a form lives in a it's its own kind of island from other forms because like i'm i'm a novelist so like the, the novel that somebody else holds in their hand is 20 drafts from yeah. the first one do you yeah. know and like the first the one shot you know yeah is horrendous as yeah. opposed to beautiful music mm. i think because of the way musicians operate especially together do you know mm. like there's an alchemy among people and a communication that's happening you know yeah. uh whereas i think books and writing exist on this completely different time scale mm. where first thought not best thought impulse no do you know yeah. it's yeah. it's it's more like sculpture it's chipping it's chipping and shining and chipping and shining and chi- it's not alive yeah. in the same way yeah. It's not alive. And that is the real the that's amazing to me. You yeah, know? but equally I would say I couldn't try my the, the slow I couldn't I don't know if I could have never tried, but I the the idea of writing as a slow form process to me, I feel like I, I would really struggle with that I that idea of chipping. Like I would It'd be I'd like be, if some said to you write two notes today and think about it. Yeah, you yeah, write yeah. two notes tomorrow and think about them. Yeah. <laughs> Not too hard. Tomorrow then, you can only write one note. Mm. Literally. Beep, you know? Like, yeah, and then yeah, you, yeah. in two years, have a song, you know? And, yeah. like, I think, I don't think I've ever thought about music in terms of the rooms and the spaces that it lives in. Yeah. And, like, as a sort of a impression of a moment. Yeah. A repeated impression of a moment. And, uh, I don't know, man. That's like that's that's magic. Yeah, that's becomes magic. like a photo. Like it's almost like a photograph. It's a photograph. In a way, we we yeah. record everything. So even our process in the band is when we made this album. Every time we're here in this room that I'm in now, it's the mics are on and everything is recorded. Everything is plugged into a Pro Tools session. Absolutely everything we do from start to finish whether and it's usually just jamming to get to the point where we're at like writing wise we don't come with songs we we come in here and yeah 80 percent of it is we will never see the light of day obviously you know we, we have to pick through maybe more it's probably more like 98 percent 
but you know when it happens and you can feel it and we'd all look up for maybe three hours and it was like that thing we did 20 minutes ago I, I really hope we got that because we'll never do that the same again and we need it yeah. and so and that was a way of working that we maybe didn't use before it was a new kind of thing we were trying and it was like that it was like we have essentially a photograph of that that's there it's it's captured we could yeah. never perform it the same way again and there's a there's a you're the hairs be standing up on the back of your arms when it happens here like because yeah. it's three people uh it's a flow state thing that you usually only experience alone but when it happens with other people mm. it's just magical it really is like everyone's kind of responding in the right way and someone's doing something really interesting in response to what you're doing and it feels alive um so where possible we have tried to kind of mine those moments uh gather them out of those sessions and then we take that into a new one and we we start to to build around it where it needs to be held up or or add to it where it needs something added to but usually the actual like the main chunk is just something that we've lifted the word mining is really perfect for that because yeah. if you if you are able to capture this huge body of time that you're playing together and like i'm always like i'm really interested in the word play and the concept of play in general so like adults adults don't play right as a thing in the mm. same way that children play right but mm. we do play music we do play sports it's like this it's a I don't know I think it's one of the most important things about being alive and mm. when you are truly like playing music with others or like like I was in a choir for mm. uh, yeah. a couple of years and uh, I was a choir choir dude as well mm -hmm. that like and that's my closest experience to being in a band yeah. I was in a band as well but I have never done anything like that but that feeling of playing with others like like something does happen yeah and yeah. having the the ability to capture a long drawn out session where there's a diamond and being yeah. able to go back and get the diamond yeah like that's a that's a method that's an amazing mm -hmm. method of, of yeah. making work it's deeply organic yeah so, and i mean it, it it creates it was new to us as a process for sure and what ended up happening then was we had and we just we wanted to stay in that play state for as long as we could because we were enjoying yeah. it so much. So we well, never yeah, said, playing is fun. Yeah, it's joyful, yeah, it right? Yeah, so, yeah, so much fun. And every week we'd come in and be like more jamming than six hours more. Let's do another <laughs> <laughs> next week. We could do another six. And it went on for months. And we at this stage, we didn't even call ourselves a band. We didn't have a name, you know, we, we, and we were very remiss to say we were working on anything because mm. as soon as you say that, that play goes away. And yeah. you now have a structural thing that you, you have, have to work. To work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, work. It's, it's, it goes it's now, from play to yeah. work. Totally different beasts. Totally it's now a beasts. book or whatever. It's yeah. looming, you know. So oh we, we ended up having just, it got to the point where we just, it was ridiculous how many hours and gigabytes of, of sessions we had. And so Ken became almost like an archivist and he would... Mm. We couldn't, you you wouldn't have enough time. You'd have to have a, the exact same amount of time again to sit down again. and listen through it all, which is what Ken did. Like Ken would come in here on another day and start trawling through these dated weekly sessions and he would cherry pick maybe eight things, eight small little slices from each one. And that week we'd get a wee transfer with a big list of these snippets, the whole band. And so we'd spend a week processing 
marking like tiny little time codes of sections that we thought were great and when they aligned like when we came back and it was like you, did you hear the bit like, you know the bit where the thing came in and when we aligned and we were like yes and we remembered that was when we knew okay we, we all three of us have now dog-eared this so it's in or or it's at least in the pile of things we're going to look at doing more with and that's sort of how we worked so it was really long but we never we didn't want to stop that mm. side of the work either so we ended up with an awful lot more than we could ever like there was talk of four albums there for a while because it was like <laughs> shit like how are we gonna we're not gonna be able to fit all this stuff in but obviously that's crazy so we did one much like Radiohead with Kid A where they had ended up with 20 songs and they were like this is we can't do a double album this is too intense and then split it out into Kid A and Anesia yeah 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 um, he was Tom Mark was saying something really interesting. He was like, "You don't necessarily put the best songs on an album. It's the songs that like fit together the best." Yeah. I always found Kid A the song really weird. Yeah. It just it just felt like another a little kind of it was more like a a thesis than a song for okay. what they wanted to yeah, do with the yeah, album, yeah. like like a fitter happier kind of thing. Mm. But then I was listening to it today and I found myself bopping to it and it was like, oh. A sixteen-year-old me could not find the rhythm in this to dance yeah. to, but thirty-seven-year-old me now knows that this yeah. is something you can dance to. It's a different song entirely. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way mm. that, like, you know, even the themes were, like, Idiotech, for example. I definitely mm. didn't like that when I was forty. Like, parts of this album really resonated with me. That I didn't find an in with until years later, when you know you start listening to all kinds of other maybe dance music, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, okay, it's kind of part of this other world of stuff. Like mm-hmm. Apex Twin and like Autechre and all these, but like it was yeah, part yeah. part of an, another thing that he was clearly, uh, maybe inspired by and wanted to try. Mm-hmm. Like there's a fight with Radiohead always from that like OK Computer to Kid A, that like resentment of being a rock band or whatever it is and feeling like it's there's a little bit of PTSD in the album. Yeah, just how horrible. Okay, computer yeah. was for them the reaction to it. If have you ever watched Meeting People Is Easy, yes. the tour documentary, yeah, yeah, you can understand where Kid A comes from. You see just what a bad time time York had yeah. being famous. Just how oh, it was the fame. Just, I was going to say what went, what was so wrong? Yeah, with no, that it experience. was the fame and yeah. the pressure, and yeah. yeah, the pressure of following up kind of the greatest album of all time. Essentially, yeah, was to just not try to follow up the greatest album of all time to make a weird uh, Aphex Twin tribute instead. Yeah, yeah, but also there was like from what I understand, like maybe a little bit of resentment around being pigeonholed as a rock band because that was mm-hmm. sort of contrary to like all of the stuff that comes when you say rock band is like ego stuff. You know, it's like mm-hmm. dudes being really full of themselves and, you know, going, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, and so he really, that maybe didn't resonate with him and, and maybe felt that persona is being pushed on me in a way that I don't I'm not comfortable with and I'd love to be yeah. part of the the warp gang or you know mm-hmm. part of these other yeah. really strange musicians that are further out and they don't have that uh mythical rock band thing. Oh, they're faceless bands. Like, the warp yeah. Gang. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. like the Aphex Twins like there was a lot of people making kind of electronic music around that time mm. and they were kind of kicking off that trend and they they had this they were able to be faceless, like you say. Yeah, they they were afforded mm. that. Where rock bands, I remember. Uh, weren't. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there was remember an interview with Aphex Twin where it was actually in the back of Select magazine. They used to have like a little, a one question they'd ask like twelve different like musicians every month, mm. and one of them was like, "Have you ever like sent a double to a gig?" 
And I texted him was like, I've one guy that does gigs. I have three other guys that do interviews for me. I have another guy that does press shoots. And like, he just is fully just doing the music and sending, just not bothering with the rest of it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I read thing with Time Work was also saying a lot of bands started getting described as being like Radiohead mm-hmm. after a okay computer. And he didn't like any of them. Yeah. So he was like, I need to change what sending like Radiohead means. Yeah. As yeah. well, which like, like because Sarah thinks today is typical Radiohead, that he did. He succeeded yeah. entirely with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny because there's so many that happens across all mediums like you hear lots Mm. of like that happens across writers in a big way where if somebody sees them because comp titles are a real common thing where you know on the back of a book or or the front of a book people will be like for readers of yeah yeah Sally Rooney yeah Sally Rooney and you see (laughs) a lot of people getting fucking super mad about that you know I don't know how she feels um Mm -hmm. either do you know what i mean so there's a real i'd say artistic conflict that happens when you start to see imitators and i'd imagine today's what happened yeah and things just shouldn't be compared i think there's an awful the the urge with like thing the easiest thing to do to weigh up something is to compare it to something else and it's just Mm -hmm. lazy it's also the easiest way to sell it's also the easiest way to sell something Mm -hmm. and that's what it is you know that is not a choice that uh artists make generally outside of a publicity context or a marketing no and it is (laughs) like even in a band like they will always ask you know in a press release it's it's the same it's in ours i'm sure for fans of you know and it's just such an uncomfortable thing to even name them because at any given time they may be true and you might be quite influenced by them but at another time maybe not true like things are very fluid Mm. in the in your subconscious the stuff that you were influenced by changes on a weekly basis i would say not a yearly one so oh yeah yeah they're not really accurate on it like that's that's i'd be quite uncomfortable when people ask mm-hmm. you to describe using other bands, what your band is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's genuinely yeah. it's just to help just to help them find their people. Do you know that's what mm-hmm. I all yeah. that's what I always have to have to go. This will, this will help a reader find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all that matters, or a listener, or mm-hmm. like it will, it will connect a dot that otherwise wouldn't have, yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't have found its way. You know. Speaking of helping people find things, Louise, where can we find Dirty Dreamer and tell us about your album? Um, so the album is called Everyday in Bloom, the Everyday in Bloom, and it came out uh, maybe like um, three weeks ago, something like that. It's pretty recent. So you'll find it Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, all of those places and um, streaming sites. And we will be playing a show then on the to launch it on the 2nd of june in the workman cellar so that's where you'll see it live the dog awesome. has gone to sleep yeah he's <laughs> yeah. Out stretching out he's sitting in for the long haul nice um sarah where can we find your stuff uh you can find me on twitter.com at griffsky you can find spare and vampires and other words for smoke in all good bookstores and if you like zines you can find me at patreon.com forward slash zine club for a good post uh, a couple of times a year alan what about you uh, I'm Alan underscore McGuire everywhere. Um, Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter. Juvenalia pod on Instagram. Uh, if you want to hear more Radiohead talk from me, um, the new series of Andrea Cleary's My Favourite Album is coming out very soon. I will be on there talking about OK Computer. Um, I, have some, I, I can do all of them. I can do every single album. <laughs> more we'll get them done, Al. We'll get them done. Um, we, thank you to Dean McDonald for our artwork. Thanks, Dean. Um, 
we have a Patreon. It's been a little bit neglected lately because I've been away, but, but we'll look, get right back onto it. If you're a new listener, you have, so, yeah. you have so much. There's so much in You got a good 20, 25 bonus episodes there to get stuck into. Me and Alan play to their songs off our phones. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of A fun. lot of video game yeah, talk. Yeah. A lot of video game talk. We talk about Loop Hero, which I oh, started yeah. playing. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have to do that soon. Um, besides that, what else do we need to do? Um, thank you, Louise, so much for coming on. Thanks a million, Thank you to Louise. Tall Tales for having us. Thanks, uh, Cassie. Thank you, Cassie. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye, see you everybody. then. Bye.